Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the hope that is in the gospel and that, Jesus, you have um, died, but you didn't just die. Lord, if you had just died, um, I I wouldn't be talking to anyone right now. Um, And uh, our hope would be non-existent. Um, and the hope of so many, there is no hope for so many in our, our community because they are not acknowledging you, um, they are not aware, um, Lord, so help us to be faithful in our community um, uh, with the gospel, and uh, Lord, I just pray for even this gal I was talking to that uh, she would indeed be willing to have the service, and uh, Lord, that we, as we um, think about that, um, that we would be able to proclaim um, the truth through it. Lord, we pray for this morning as we continue to contemplate uh, things that we are not comfortable talking about um, with regard to your attributes, your wrath, and your jealousy, but that's who you are. That's who you proclaim yourself to be. So help us to know you as you are, not as we would make you out to be. Um, Lord, bless this morning and teach us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so um, we talked about, not last week, but the week before God's love, And then um, we last week um, started to talk about God's wrath and God's jealousy. They are closely related, as we will see today. And if you remember, the the well, those things seem disconnected. Like, how would you how would you tie those together? Well, actually, Scripture gives us a nice, handy uh, verse to at least see how genuine love, uh, sincere love, is connected to things like wrath and jealousy. So uh, just remember Romans 12, 9, you could translate it this way. Um, uh, Love must be sincere. Okay, but what does a sincere love look like? Abhorring the evil, clinging to the good. So a sincere love does abhor. Like that's a really strong word. It abhors evil and clings to the good. And so what we talked about um, last week in relation to God's wrath is um, first, God is perfectly good in and of Himself. First John five, First uh, John one five through six, um, God is light; in Him is no darkness at all. Habakkuk one thirteen, God's eyes are too pure to see evil. Psalm five four, evil cannot dwell with God. So God is in Himself the standard, the epitome, the of good. Uh, and so, if true sincere love must abhor evil, then God must abhor evil. And so that's what we see. We see God hates not only evil, but he hates evildoers. Psalm 5.5, 5, uh, right after Psalm 5.4. Uh, evil cannot dwell with God, therefore God hates evildoers. Um, we talked about uh, um, even the present manifestation of God's wrath, uh, articulated in Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness, which is the idea of piety, uh, um, having uh, reverent thoughts for God and reverent actions towards God. Uh, it's, God's wrath is revealed against all impiety and unrighteousness. And that's a present manifestation in terms of the hardening of people's hearts. We talked about that last week. God's wrath is also being displayed, as we talked about in Psalm 90, in just the steady march of 100% mortality rate, right? Um, death is a manifestation uh, a constant drumbeat of the manifestation of God's wrath. That's what Psalm 90 talks about. And then we ended by talking about Revelation 14, 9 through 11, the snapshot of God's eternal wrath, um, eternal conscious torment at the hands of the Father, at the hands of the Lamb for all eternity. So that's where we were. That's God's wrath. We're going to talk about God's jealousy 
uh, a little bit today. But are there any questions before we keep moving? Okay, so God's jealousy. Um, God's jealousy and wrath are closely paralleled. Uh, we looked at this passage last week. Let's do it again. Nahum. Nahum 1, 2 through 3. Uh, it's interesting. Nahum's name means comfort. And uh, actually, that's part of um, uh, what the message of Nahum is. Comfort. Comfort for God's people, even while judgment is being executed against God's enemies. But in the uh, context that uh, we look at Nahum 1, 2, and 3... So let's go ahead and look at that. So we'll go ahead and read that when they got it. Okay, so we, last week we looked at this um, as an articulation of God declares himself to be wrathful, but you can see that's closely paralleled with his jealousy, okay? Now, what do you think about when you hear the word jealousy? Protection, okay, protection, guarding. Um, do you we normally think of jealousy as positive or negative? Negative, why? What do, what do we mean when we talk about a negative sort of jealousy? Yes. Good, yeah. So kind of when you're talking kind of about um, kind of gets mingled with envy where you're thinking about, okay, someone has this thing that I want and I'm jealous of that. Or uh, someone has this position that I want and I'm jealous of that. Like I want it. It's covetousness, right? It's covetousness um, kind of, you know, manifested, all right? Um, now, that's not what we mean when we talk about God's jealousy, okay? That's not what we mean when we talk about God's jealousy. So what do we mean? Yes, and that's what we're going to see, right? So if we look at um, uh, this idea of God's jealousy, it's going to be a protection of what is good. Um, it's going to be protection of what is already his, um, to use uh, what Rachel just said. Let's look at, um, start marching through some passages. This is not like a corner theme in the Bible. It's actually regularly brought up, okay? So let's go and see what does it mean for God to be jealous. Exodus 20, um, so right in the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> Someone go ahead and read Exodus 20, 4 through 6. Very good. So here we see jealousy brought up in relation to what? What was it? Okay, so later on he talks about loving kindness, right? But why is God jealous? Like, what's he jealous over in this case? Worship of idols, yeah. Um, so uh, in, in particular, images, right? So some, um, even part of this is not, not just 
not worshiping false gods, but also not making an image of the true God, right? Like you could try to do that, right? God is jealous over how he defines himself, um, but the idea of jealousy is he's protecting his image, he's protecting his wor- the worship of him and him alone, right? You see that, and that's consistent. As we walk through these passages on God's jealousy, you're going to see that constant refrain of the jealousy is over false worship. Uh, God doesn't, doesn't want false worship. He's jealous of worship for himself. Okay, so let's go to Exodus 34, another passage that kind of gives us more insight. Uh, Exodus 34. Uh, now, Exodus 34 is right after the golden calf, right? So the golden calf thing happens. Uh, and remember, the golden calf is not like they're worshiping some other god. They're actually doing the very thing that we just read about prohibits. Uh, they're trying to worship the true god by making an image of the true god as a calf. Okay, But that all happens, and then Moses intercedes. There's this renewal that's happening uh, in Exodus 34. Um, look at uh, 13 through 16. So we'll go ahead and read that, Exodus 34, 13 through 16. You shall tear down their altars and lay their pillars and cut down their altars. For you shall worship, worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land when they pour out for their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited to Okay, so what do you see in relation to God's jealousy here? Well, he's warning them. Mm-hmm. You have to get rid of, you have to eradicate it, or you will be um, influenced, and you will disobey me, or go into idolatry. Right. Yep, so there's the idea of idolatry. What else do you... Um, uh, and he's warning them, don't, don't go after these things, and he connects that with his jealousy. Uh, what else do you see in relation to God's jealousy in this passage? Yeah, Patricia. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, covenant, um, and remember kind of the archetype of a covenantal relationship. Um, I mean, really, even in, in the beginning is the marriage relationship, right? And you actually see that kind of play out a little bit here. Because God is likening uh, idolatry to adultery, right? To prostitution, to uh, whoredom. So, that's, um, so that is coming into play, the idea of covenant and faithfulness to the covenant. Uh, what's God's name? Jealous. Yeah, he ca- God calls his name Jealous. Which, when we think about God's name, we spent that time talking about all God's titles and then his name, right? Um, it really, we're talking about what what. God proclaims his character and attributes to be. So it's not like some jealousy is kind of this corner thing that we shove in the corner and that God doesn't like to talk about and we don't like to talk about. God says, yeah, my name is Jealous. Um, Meaning what? It's close to who he is, right? Which makes sense. If jealousy is about worshiping a false god and God is jealous that people worship the true God, right? Then it's all about his identity, right? And so it would make sense why his name would be jealous. Okay, any questions or comments on this particular passage? Yeah, Eden. Yeah, 
and he is, and for his honor, right? So there's, there's both the, and we'll see this, it's, it's for his people, and it's for his honor. It's both of those things, right? Um, so, um, and, and we'll keep seeing that as we go, all right? Um, let's see, let's go to Deuteronomy. So, uh, covenant renewal. So the initial giving of the Israelite covenant is at Mount Sinai. We get a covenant renewal on the plains of Moab as the second generation of Israel is, or the generation after the Exodus generation is going into the land of um, Canaan. Uh, okay, Deuteronomy six fourteen through 15. Okay, so we see the same connection between God's jealousy and going after other gods or the gods of the peoples. But what happens when God gets jealous? His anger is kindled, which brings us back to the theme of wrath last week, right? So we see how they're connected, right? God is jealous uh, for his honor, that he be worshipped alone, that his people worship him alone. And so when they um, go after other gods, he is provoked to jealousy, uh, which leads to a, a, a wrathful response, right? God's wrath is his abhorrence of evil. It is an evil thing for God's people to worship another God. And so he is, his, his, um, his, uh, uh, his wrath is kindled, okay? Yes, and really, um, remember when we talked about in Matthew... Uh, a couple weeks ago, the abomination of desolation. Remember what I said what the abomination was? The abomination was like setting up an idol and, or some sort of image or object of worship in the temple um, right in God's presence, right, and people worshiping it, and that led to desolation. Well, it's because God is jealous. In fact, in Ezekiel, it talks about this, an image of jealousy provoking to jealousy which promotes God's wrath, which in this case, as Rachel pointed out, and it's very much true, uh, it brings desolation, means utter destruction, <laughs> not only for God's temple, in the case of Israel, for God's temple um, and the land as a whole, right? That's, that's the manifestation of God's, God's wrath and his jealousy, okay? Questions up to this point? Yes, Genevieve. Right, right. It is, and it goes back to that kind of idea that sincere love, a true love, abhors what is evil and holds fast to what is good, right? So God's people, you know, an, a false god and God's people going after a false god is evil, it is wrong, it is abhorrent. And so it is right for God to respond in jealousy and wrath um, against that. Okay, and you know, so you think about the person who's going to say, "Well, God can't be wrathful. My God's my God's not wrathful. Um, my God is a God of love." It's like, well, your God may be that way, but that's a false God, right? Because um, what is a that's sentimental love, right? 
But love, in the biblical sense, goes beyond sentiment. Uh, it's sincere love. It's genuine love. Uh, and a genuine love is going to hate what's evil and, hold, and cling to what's good. Okay? Uh, Bruce, I think you had your hand up. Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It would be interesting here. I'd have to look at the the Hebrew for earth here. Sometimes, just when we hear the word earth, we're thinking like the globe, right? Um, but uh, if it's the word eretz, um, it uh, it can just mean like like land, so not necessarily all-encompassing, but like a particular land, uh, just like we saw in Matthew, right? The tribes of the land, not the tribes of the earth. Um, and he could just be referring to, I'm going to off your land. But even then, we see he has a remnant. Uh, and that's, it reminds us that uh, God always is who he is. His, his attributes are not like... Um, what's the right way to say this? They're not competing. Uh, I mean, there's a sense in which that would be true, but like, it's not like God has like this attention and like, oh, am I going to be more of this today or am I going to be more of that today? Right? It's, it's, he is, we have to understand that even when he is manifesting his wrath, he is still totally loving, as we've been talking about, but he's also gracious and compassionate, right? So these attributes are also true. So we don't want to lopside in any of this. We don't want to lopside either God's love or God's wrath, right? Both are true. Uh, and we have to understand how both are true. Yeah, and Julie. His mercy is great. Because he yeah. Many yes. Right. Right. Well, and think about how is it just, you know, if we go back to God's anger, what is he described to be? What of anger? Slow to anger, right? He's not a fly. None of God's anger is a fly off the handle sort of anger, right? It is purposeful. It is ordered. It is, um, it is just. It is in perfect proportion, um, and it's in the right time, right? So we need to understand that. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, Patricia. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Because we still sin, even as believers, and that sin grieves God. Uh, the relationship is not threatened because of Christ, if we are in Christ. But um, like we said, there is a, our sin, um, there, there's, there's still consequences for the relationship in the sense that our fellowship with God is broken. Um, he's grieved. Um, it's just like a parent with a child, right? Like, you're never going to stop being my child, um, but uh, what you have done deeply grieves me and even provokes, um, you know, we rarely have a righteous anger, but, um, you know, sometimes there is, right, a righteous anger in you. So, okay, uh, speaking of which, go to Deuteronomy 32. 32, towards the end, this is uh, the song that Israel's supposed to learn so that they remember, and when they remember, it's like, oh yeah, God told us about this, and we've blown it. Um, but even in the song, there's, you know, there's a declaration of their evil, but there's also the declaration of hope 
um, for the nation of Israel. But we see this in Deuteronomy 32, 19. Um, and really what he's talking about, um, uh, I mean, even if you go back up to verse 16, they stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. Uh, and then in that context, look at 19 through 21. The Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Okay, what do we see about God's jealousy here? Same refrain of false idols, right, and false worship. But what else do we get from this? Yes. The punishment matches the crime. What's the punishment in this case for bringing God to jealous, provoking God to jealousy? What's that? Okay, he won't hear them. What else? He's going to make them jealous. He's going to make them jealous with what? Well, what does it say? What does the text say? With a foolish nation. Right? So, which ultimately as we walk through the course of the scriptures, even some of the things we see in, uh, even some of the things we have seen in Matthew, but especially when you get into Paul in Romans 9 through 11, he's like pointing back to this and is like, yeah, so the reason that Israel by and large is not repentant right now and God saving Gentiles, that's a way and a mechanism for God to make Israel jealous, ultimately so that they will repent. But um, it, the punishment matches the crime because Israel made God, Israel made God jealous, Okay. Um, but what else? There's that aspect. What is the context? What kind of language does he use uh, for this, uh, for the people of Israel? What's that? Okay, but as what? What's the relationship between God and Israel described as? Children. Yes, so God's jealousy is relational. Okay, that's, it's not just, and we've already said that, but it's, it's, when we think of God's jealousy, it's not, um, it's in the context of a relationship, uh, a covenant relationship, a deep relationship, uh, what's supposed to be a committed relationship. And so, as we already said, right, um, the prototype of all covenantal relationships as far as a picture is a marriage. And that's why you see this consistent theme through scripture of God liking his relationship to his covenant people like a marriage. And then when there is idolatry, it's likened to adultery, right? Uh, which helps us, right? Because if you think about a husband with a, a straying wife, an unfaithful wife, which is what Israel is likened to be, um, is it right for the husband to feel jealousy? Yes. Absolutely, right? It is absolutely right for the husband to feel jealousy for the affections of his wife uh, and the exclusivity of his wife. 
um, and the and, and vice versa, right? But th- that's how it's the imagery that God gives. So like we don't necessarily need to go there. Um, well, let's go there. Let's go there. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 16, one of the most uncomfortable passage chapters to read in the whole Bible. I think. I think there was a context, I don't know if I was there for this, but we're in our youth group back up in Spokane, like someone, or maybe it was the college ministry, I don't know, but someone was like tasked with reading Ezekiel 16, just like straight through, and it's like, all right. Um, okay, but I'm going to point out Ezekiel 1635 um, for a few verses. Therefore, O prostitute, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says the Lord Yahweh, because your lust was poured out and your nakedness uncovered and your whorings with your lovers and with all your abominable idols and because of the blood of your children that you gave to them, therefore, behold, I will gather all of your lovers with which you took pleasure, all those you loved and all those you hated. I will gather them against you from every side and I will uncover your nakedness to them that they may see all your nakedness and I will judge you as women who commit adultery and shed blood are judged and bring upon you the blood of wrath and jealousy, and I will give you into their hands, and they shall throw you down, down your vaulted chamber and break down your lofty places. They shall strip you of your clothes and take your beautiful jewels and leave you naked and bare, etc., 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 etc. It goes on and on and on. Because what God is picturing is his jealousy for the affections of his people. And, you know, in the context of Ezekiel 16, it just goes over and over, like, how unfaithful Israel has been, how unfaithful his people has been. And so what we see here is God portraying his own jealousy for his, his people, the jealousy of, like, like the jealousy of a husband for his wife, and, um, and then his wrath, right, um, that um, an unrepentant um, straying uh, brings his wrath uh, upon even his people. Um, and so that's what we, we are seeing here. And we've already made that connection, but it's very vivid. But again, we bring that around to the idea of uh, God's jealousy is relational. It's a jealousy that's protective of the relationship between his creatures and himself. And when we think about what is the creature's greatest good, remember we talked about love. Love is abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what is good. Well, what is the best for one of God's creatures? The best for one of God's creatures is them being in relationship with God and enjoying him, worshiping him, delighting in him. So when his people are not worshiping him, when his people are not delighting in him, then they are not, they're not, they they are, um, they're doing not only what is evil, but God is thinking about, well, what's best for them? I'm jealous for what is good for them, and I'm jealous that they remain in this good relationship with me. Uh, and so, again, we see that, that idea that sincere love abhors what is evil, but also clings to what is good. And so God's jealousy is really him clinging to what is good for his people, uh, not only for God's own honor, but for, the, um, for his people's own good. Okay? Questions? Comments on this? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, it's 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 twisting the whole relationship, um, and God's being used, right? And um, uh, instead of uh, there being a good love relationship uh, with His people, and um, and then God's fame being spread abroad, which is supposed to happen. Israel's supposed to sp- spread the fame of God's name abroad to the nations, so they come and repent. And instead, God says, You're, my name's being blasphemed among the nations, right? Because of you and because of um, all that. So, okay, uh, one last one. So we've been in the Old Testament, and you're like, oh, it's just the Old Testament, right? Um, we'll go to James. Go to James 4. And, um, you know, we can go ahead and back up to verse 1. So let's do 4, 1 through... You know, let's go ahead and do 4, 1 through 10. Who wants to read that? Okay, so what is, what do we see, so first, where do we see jealousy here? Right, so verse 5, and verse 5, there's, it's a little bit tricky to translate, but yeah, that's probably the right way to render it, is he yearns jealously over the spirit he's made to dwell in us. Uh, probably not a reference to the Holy Spirit in this case, but like our our faculty, our our inward parts, like our desire for God Himself, right? And we see that in the Old Testament that God wants people not just in a sort of surfacey relationship with Him, right? But He He wants that He wants worship from the Spirit. He wants worship from the heart, and He's jealous for that. Like He wants that. 
uh, and he's yearning jealousy for that. Uh, but what's the contrast here? So he, what, what's the jealousy over? Right? Yes, he wants our spirit worshiping him, but what's the contrast? What, is, what are people doing instead in this case? Okay, so Rachel said made friends out of the world. Brenda? Yes, so there's pride. There's a pride aspect here, right? But there's this element of where is the affection going? The affection is not described in terms of idols directly this time. It's described in terms of friendship with the world, right? Yeah, they're double-minded. Double-minded doesn't mean like, well, I don't know this or that. It's like, I'm on both sides, right? So I want God, but I also want the world, right? They're trying to straddle that idea, right? And uh, it, that's adultery. God is very clear here. Uh, actually, the word is adulteresses. That's, that's literally what the word is. You adulteresses, right? Same language in the Old Testament, except in this time, he's saying you're not bowing down to wood or stone or that sort of a thing. You're bowing down to the world. You're wanting the passions, the pleasures of the world. That's actually what you're dedicated towards. And that's adultery. That's spiritual idolatry. Um, and so, but, and God's angry over it, right? Um, he, wants, he wants people's uh, affections. Um, and, and that's true for everyone. He longs for people's affections um, and worship of him because that's their good. And that's what you can't, sometimes we think about when we hear, oh, um, God just, he's like a vain, he's like a vain person, right? Like he just, he just wants all the worship and honor for himself, and that's like vain of him to do so. It's like, well, there's no one else in existence who is worthy of worship. He is the one ultimately worthy of worship. But even beyond that, he has designed us to be a people who are only satisfied when we are worshiping and delighting in him. So those two come together. Our good, the good of the creature, uh, the good of the creature is to be satisfied in God, delighting in God, worshiping God. And at the same time, we see that, well, God is being worshipped. God is being delighted in, right? So those two come together. That's why he, his yearning over our, um, us, our hearts, our spirits to worship him is good and right. Uh, and instead, we are tempted to um, be double-minded and put our affections towards uh, the world. Okay, so it's not just an Old Testament thing. It's a New Testament thing. It's a, it's a God thing, right? This is about who God is. Uh, questions, comments on God's jealousy. I think it's John Calvin that, that kind of used the illustration that our hearts are idol factories, right? We are designed to be worshipers, so we will worship. It is a question of what we will worship. We will either be worshiping the one true God, or we will be worshiping something else. 
And so, in a sense, if you, well, really, truly, if you boil sin down, right, you're either, it's going to be a worship, I think Paul Tripp calls it a worship disorder, but really it's, you're, you're, you're either, um, you're either devoting yourself, bowing towards, uh, looking for salvation from something, whether that something is abstract or whether it's something like a block of wood, right, um, or the idea behind that block of wood or you're going to be worshiping God and delighting God. So all of our sin really boils back down to that at a certain level, right? Do I want my passions, my pleasures, whether that is, you know, in this case it seems a little more worldly, buying something or having something in the world, or in Tony's example, when we're talking about kind of the celebrity mindset, like I'm devoted to this person and to following this person. Even Christian teachers, I'm devoted to this person and following this person, right? Like, it, it ultimately becomes spiritual adultery, right? The question is, do you love and delight in God um, above all, right? Okay, other questions, comments? And the hope here is, you see, there's hope in this, though, right? He gives them hope, mourn over your sin, and draw near to God, meaning repent, right? Um, and know that God gives more grace, right? This isn't a hopeless, like, I just, I can't get out of this. Um, no, that's the gospel, is that God gives grace through Christ to overcome our desires um, so that we love him and are willing to kill sin, um, Get rid of those things that are um, drawing our affections, etc. So, uh, one more thing I did want to say as we end this kind of discussion about God's wrath and jealousy. So we go back to that initial verse. Uh, let love love must be sincere, abhorring what is evil, holding fast to what is good. So, a true and sincere love means that you will abhor evil, or that God will abhor evil, and as we've been talking about, which means His wrath. And he'll cling to what is good, which seems more aligned with his jealousy, right? He's jealous over what is good. That's sincere love. Let me ask you a question, though, okay? Before creation, um, are God's wrath and jealousy displayed? Genevieve, you're shaking your head no. Why? Yeah, why? Exactly. So we, we have to, there's, a, there's an asymmetrical relationship between God's love and his wrath and jealousy, right? His love is always there. And really what we're saying about God's wrath and jealousy is they are not active uh, pre-creation. They are latent, right? Because what we've been saying is really God's love, a true and sincere love, is a true and sincere love 
abhors what is evil and holds fast to the good. Well, the love is always there. Like, it has always been there from all eternity, the eternal love relationship in the, amongst the members of the Trinity. But God's wrath and jealousy are not displayed as an aspect of his love until, create a, until a fallen world, not just creation, but a fallen world happens. Yeah, they're, they're a manifestation of his love, but love is still the core, right? Um, there are aspects of that. So God is who he is eternally, but without the, you know, a fallen creation, like God's wrath and jealousy aren't displayed. The what? Oh. Sure. Yeah. But that's still a created being, right? That, that's still part of a fallen creation. Right. Yes. Well, no, 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 no. Satan's a created being. Right, right. So that's part of creation. But my mind, that's yeah, I see what you're saying. Right. The heavens and the earth are creation. Right. So, so Satan and any heavenly being, in terms of like an angel or whatever or a demon, is created. Uh, yes, uh, Job uh, talks about Job, uh, the sons of God, in that case, which is a reference to the angels, celebrating as God is creating things. So, um, so yeah, they're before... Sure, but in one one when it says... When God says God created the heavens and the earth, I'd have to think about that. I'd have to look back and check, but uh, that reference, is he talking about... All the heavenly realms, or is he talking about just the sky? Um, but regardless, the point being, right, that before anything created, right, and really, it's not just about creation, it's about fallenness, right? So pre-sin, pre-sin, um, there is, there's, there's no display of God's wrath, no active display of God's wrath and jealousy. They're latent in his love, um, and of course, God decrees everything from the end, from the beginning, so He knows He will display His wrath and jealousy, but it's not active pre-sin. If that makes sense. So, any other questions on that? Because it's part of His love. The love is the base of His wrath and jealousy, right? The love is always there, but the active display of wrath, um, hatred of evil, and uh, a jealousy. Um, you might argue that the jealousy piece is more there, but uh, in terms of an active display of God's wrath or jealousy, it doesn't happen pre, pre, uh, pre sin. Yes, Genevieve. Yes. Yeah. No. 
It's ongoing. Because of Revelation 14, uh, that's what hell is. Right? It is the continual, ongoing, eternal, conscious torment of God's wrath being displayed for all eternity. So when we talk about God's wrath, actually this has come up a little bit in Matthew, um, when we talk about God's wrath, there are, um, let's use the word temporal uh, displays of God's wrath, although, I mean, all eternity, ages upon ages, that's still temporal. But when I mean temporal displays of God's wrath, I mean like God leveling a city or a desolating a, a place, right, um, or suffering or famine or these sorts of things, um, that's still a display of God's wrath. But it is qualitatively different than what we talk about God's, uh, the wrath of hell for all eternity. There God is not devastating a land um, or, um, or um, that sort of a thing. It is him executing uh, eternal conscious torment uh, without rest, without ceasing for all eternity. It is that eternal weight of wrath that Jesus bore on the cross. But obviously Jesus didn't, um, like temporal displays of God's wrath, right? Like, like uh, Jesus didn't save us from undergoing uh, like hardship. Because that's very clear, right? Um, in in uh, That Christians are going to undergo hardship. But when we talk about God's like wrath, and so I think maybe Genevieve, what you were talking about when God's wrath is being poured out, um, well, yes, in terms of those like judgments on the earth, devastations, that sort of thing, yes. But in terms of like the activity of God's wrath, that is active for all eternity on those who are unrepentant. Absolutely. And all we have to go on is what God himself says, right? And what God himself says is, yeah, I am, uh, there is an eternal wrath and anger that is just, that is good um, to be poured out in all eternity. Um, And it displays, hell displays the heinousness of sin. The cross displays the heinousness of sin too, right? But both of those things, right, they really display how awful sin is. Even the smallest sin, because the smallest sin is a slap in the face of an infinitely worthy God. It's spiritual adultery, right? Um, even the smallest one. And so God is just um, to display that for all eternity. You can only say that juxtaposed against his perfection. Right. Otherwise, there would be no definition for sin. Exactly. So it's always that perfection. It's just so hard to get our heads around. Right. Okay, anything else before we pray? Should probably feel, these last couple should probably be leaving you feeling heavy. And that's good. 
right? Um, it gives us so, a sobriety to reality. Christianity is not slap happy, um, uh, slap a smile on your face, everything's okay, right? It's, reality is sober and joyful. Um, and what this should do for you is cause you to love your salvation more and also cause you to be more vigilant over sin in your own heart and also cause you to be more willing to share the gospel with those you encounter. So uh, let's, let, let's pray that the Lord would do that for us. Father, again, we, we, as Tony has you know, just reminded us that uh, we don't understand. We have no experience um, of what it would be like um, to be perfect, oh Lord God. I mean, even, even in our um, redeemed state, our glorified state that we will have, we will still be creatures and we will still have limitations. Um, but we will know you more as you are and you will be unpacking more of who you are to us. And we long for that. Oh, but Father, we grieve. We grieve because of your wrath, which is good and right and uh, provoked by your good jealousy for your creatures to love and to worship you. Um, but Lord, we know. We know in our community. We know in our this town. I mean, thinking of just driving by people on the way here who are not going to church. They're not. They're going out windsurfing or walking their dog or whatever. Lord God, and they just have no clue that wrath is overhanging them, or they're they're not acknowledging it. Lord, we pray that you give us compassion, and that you would give us opportunity to be proclaiming the truth to those around us. Lord, we pray that you would save people. Lord, we pray that we would be vigilant over sin in our own hearts. Lord, we know that that grieves you. We thank you for the salvation you've given us in Christ, that those things are not counted against us, but we will hear um, uh, the verdict of justified on the, the, um, on the day of judgment. We praise you for that. Um, but Lord, help us to be vigilant. Help us to kill sin. Help us to be repenters always. Uh, and Lord, help us to be vigilant for ourselves individually and for our brothers and sisters in this local church. Lord, help us to be vigilant that we might be a pure church that honors and pleases you. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Um, help us to know and to understand you and live in light of these realities we ask in Christ's name. Amen.